you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. If you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 15. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. And sometimes people leave their Bibles at home. And this is one that you can just borrow. Just put your hand up or holler at them. Or if you don't have a copy of uh, God's Word, this is our gift to you. So just uh, indicate to them that you need a copy of the Bible. Things will make a lot more sense as, uh, as we uh, move along uh, throughout today's message. John chapter 15. Uh, well, on Friday, Jameson and I got in a car, drove down to Ottawa uh, to meet with some people who wanted to learn a little bit more about uh, a new Harvest Bible Chapel being planted there. And uh, Ray and Natalie Kaprowski, of course, are still uh, in Chicago and uh, receiving some training down there. But uh, we, got, uh, we got there uh, in Ottawa and got together with about 30 people and met in a uh, conference room in a Marriott hotel. And uh, it, just, it just brought back so many memories uh, we used to meet in a conference room in a Marriott hotel, and, um, and so I think they're off to a good start. <laughs> and and uh, so we just, uh, Jameson led worship, this people loves to sing and praise the name of Jesus, and God's doing some great things and building a great team that God will use to plant and establish uh, that church. And uh, what we tried to communicate to them on Friday night was this the importance of depending on and relying on Jesus? In those early stages, it's so easy to get distracted or to get discouraged, to lose your focus. And, and we're trying to put all of, all of the emphasis on relying on Jesus. And I was thinking about getting ready for this Sunday's message. You know, uh, although we're six or seven years later and six or seven hundred people now, it's really no different from being just a, a small group of 30 people in a hotel conference room. The message is still the same, that we need to be continually reminded of how it is all about Jesus, it is all for Jesus, and it is all through Jesus. And that's what Jesus wanted to get to his small group of 11 disciples on the night before, the night that he was betrayed, the day before he was crucified, he got them together and he knew he knew the future. He knew that that 11 was going to grow into hundreds and then thousands and then millions over the centuries. Jesus knew that. And his message for his disciples when they were just 11 is the same. It's the same. All of us need to hear what Jesus said on that night. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This whole, um, this whole passage, this whole um, time in which Jesus was speaking to his disciples centers around this one metaphor. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine. And then he says that his father is like the vine dresser who's doing the painful work of pruning sometimes in our lives and ultimately does the work of judgment, removing branches. And he says in verse 4 that we are the branches. That is the metaphor. Now, some people sort of talk about Jesus as though he was this perpetually unprepared preacher who was just making up sermons on the spot. And, you know, some people say, well, Jesus was walking by a farm one day. And then so then he invented the parable of the sower and the sower sows the seed. Meanwhile, in Mark 13, when he gives the parable of the sower, he's sitting in a boat. And some people think, well, Jesus must have been walking by a vineyard, and so he just made up this sermon on the spot about a, a vine dresser and branches. And listen, that couldn't be further from the truth. All 11 of the disciples would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the true vine. Because the imagery of a vine and grapes and a vineyard, that agricultural metaphor is found almost cover to cover throughout the Old Testament. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, he's saying something very, very significant. Because it says in places like Isaiah chapter 5, there could be, the, the, the examples here are legion, but let me just give you two. Isaiah chapter 5, God says, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? The analogy is that the, the vine is God's people. And God's saying, this is my vineyard. What more could I have done? I rescued them from Egypt. I've given them my law. I've, I've allowed them to conquer the promised land. And I look for them to produce grapes. I just wanted them to live the way I intended for them to live. And rather than grapes, they produced wild grapes. Similarly, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. God says, I planted you a choice vine, holy, pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? You see, vineyards and vines is a very common Old Testament theme that Jesus is tapping into. But here's where Jesus adds something new. You see, just about every time a vine is being talked about in the Old Testament, it's being used as a negative metaphor. Whenever the prophets talk about vines or vineyards, the vine never actually produces grapes. The vine never actually does what it's supposed to do. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. And the vine was an image for the people of Israel. And God said, what more could I have done for my vineyard? What more could I have done for the vine? And yet they've produced wild grapes. The people of Israel were tested for 40 years in the wilderness and failed. Jesus was tested for 40 days in the wilderness and passed. 
Israel was given the law and they were supposed to keep it and to uphold it and they failed to do that. Where Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, I've come to fulfill the law. He fully obeyed it. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to draw all nations to themselves and failed in doing that. They became insular and focused on themselves, but Jesus was that light, is that light to the nations. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. Everywhere where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Some theologians like to just sort of gloss over the major themes in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they talk about how the church now has replaced the nation of Israel. It's called replacement theology, and that, that couldn't be further from what the Bible teaches. The church did not come to replace Israel. Jesus came to fulfill what Israel couldn't do. And the church has grafted into what God is doing through his son, who is the true vine, the true light to the nations, the true one who follows God's commands. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He is saying that I am the true vine. So that's the overarching metaphor in these 11 verses. And then the overarching concept that he hammers again and again, 10 times between verse 4 and verse 10, Jesus uses this word abiding. He says, abide in me. And so that's the key concept that he's trying to get across. To abide means to, to remain to continue, to dwell in. It means to stay close or to stay connected. And it's that connection that Jesus wants to make clear to his 11 disciples. It's that connection that a church plant like Ottawa, when they're just getting off the ground, that they need to understand how important it is to be connected to Jesus. It's, it's vital for us as a church that we remain connected to him. And Jesus gives us uh, eight motivations, eight reasons why we should abide in him. And we're going to start in verse 4. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. It's we're abiding in Jesus and Jesus has promised to abide in us. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here's the first thing Jesus says will happen if we abide in him. It's that fruit is produced. It's that fruit is produced. And you could... Uh, uh, get onto a online concordance or look up in the back of your Bible and find all of the instances that the New Testament uses uh, for fruit. And there's a lot of confusion. But what is Jesus saying here when he's talking about fruit? John the Baptist in Matthew 3 said, a bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so repentance is part of the fruit. Hebrews 13 says that worship is the fruit that comes from our lips. And so fruit can be worship. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, it says that the good works, that's fruit. But then in the same chapter, verse 16, it says that evangelism and sharing our faith is the fruit. Of course, in Galatians chapter 5, there's that famous passage about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is, is living like Jesus, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Living with, with all of those things. Uh, 
But to live like Jesus is really just like holiness. When, and Romans chapter 6, it talks about the fruit of holiness. In Philippians 1, it's called the fruit of righteousness. James chapter 3, it's called the fruit of wisdom. And so there's all of this discussion in the New Testament about fruit. And at different times, different people have taken what Jesus says in John 15 and then add it to James chapter 3 or Colossians chapter 1 or Galatians chapter 5. And fruit gets reduced down to this singular definition. But we need to think about the metaphor. Jesus says he's the true vine. Israel failed as a vine because they didn't produce fruit. And at the risk of oversimplification, a vine is supposed to produce fruit. When Jesus is talking about us producing fruit, it's doing what we're supposed to do. And you can, you can apply all of the New Testament metaphors of fruit. And listen, all of those things are true and all of those things need to be happening in our lives. But at the end of the day, what Jesus is getting at is if you want to live your life the right way, if you want to do what you know you're supposed to do, you cannot do it, he says, unless you abide in me. So Jesus promises that in abiding in him, fruit is produced. And then look at verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and again, I in him, it's two ways. We are commanded to abide in him, and he has promised that he abides in us. He says, he it is that bears much fruit, and then he just lays it out there. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll just be clear about what Jesus is saying here. Apart from Jesus, you can whistle. I can't, but you probably can. Apart from Jesus, you can fill up your car with gas. Apart from Jesus, there are some things that you can do. When he's saying nothing, he's not saying uh, there, there's absolutely nothing that we are just completely incapacitated apart from him. What he's getting at is we are unable, we can't do anything that has any eternal significance. We can't truly live our lives the way that we were intended to unless we are connected to him. So we can do mundane things apart from Jesus Christ. You can renovate your bathroom. You can hit a cricket ball. You can do mundane, seemingly meaningless things, but you know what? You can also do spiritual things apart from Christ. You can teach a Harvest Kids class apart from Christ. You can serve as an usher apart from Christ. You can lead a Bible study apart from Christ. You can preach a sermon apart from Christ. But in all of that doing, essentially it is nothing. Of all of the sermons that a person would give, if, that is not ha- if I am not abiding in Christ right now, then the whole thing is pointless. Of all of the hours spent in set up and tear down and in teaching Bible studies and in leading children, all of that can amount to, all of that stuff, Jesus says, if it's not done when you're abiding in me, it is nothing. There's a lot riding on this whole idea of abiding in Jesus Christ. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
the biggest danger for us is not that we'll just simply do nothing, but that we'll do something and not realize that that something is actually nothing. That we'll be like those people in the end who said, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and do mighty deeds in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. You did not abide in me. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. It's the second thing Jesus tells us about abiding, that when we abide in Jesus, that judgment is escaped. That judgment is escaped. I talked about all of these Old Testament references to vines and vineyards and it being a negative metaphor and the, the vine just does not produce the fruit that's needed. And all of those metaphors throughout the Old Testament, they all end in judgment. The vine gets uprooted. The vineyard gets destroyed. The wood gets burned and thrown away. All of them talk about that coming judgment. Now, some of us are here today and, and we think, well, this, this, this isn't, I, I thought that whole judgment thing and all of that fire and everything, I thought that was like an Old Testament thing. No, actually, it's a New Testament thing. And people have so uh, sort of domesticated Jesus and, and almost turned him into, into a, a, a puppet to really say, you know, we quote some of the things that, that we like that he said and then we put some words in his mouth that he never actually said. But if you take Jesus' words at face value, Jesus very clearly and very lovingly warned people about a judgment that is to come. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, for those who aren't connected to me, he says they're thrown away. He says that they wither and that they're thrown into a fire and burned. There is a judgment that is coming. And this is the the amazing thing, that Jesus, he is the true vine. He succeeded where the people of God failed And yet he received the judgment that was deserved for someone who failed, and yet he never failed. Because this is the amazing thing about abiding. It says, Jesus said, you abide in me, and I abide in you. And what what will happen on the day of judgment for those who abide in Jesus is as you're abiding in Jesus, you will be judged As though you yourself personally lived Jesus' 33 years of sinless perfection. The ethics, the morals, the purity, the devotion, the obedience that Jesus lived. When God looks at you and is going to judge you at the end of your life, he's going to look at you and treat you as though you lived Jesus' life. Because you're abiding in him and he abides in you. And the only reason why God is going to judge you in that way is because 2,000 years ago, even before you were born, God knew everything about you, knew how you've lived your life. He chose to love you. And he chose 2,000 years ago to have Jesus Christ to be judged as though he had lived your life. 
and that when he went to the cross, Jesus took my 36 years of sinful rebellion and paid the penalty for that on the cross. That he took the judgment that all of us deserve and he paid that penalty for us. And so Jesus tells us that in abiding in him, that is the way to escape the judgment. All of the vine metaphors in the Old Testament talked about judgment. And Jesus didn't take away judgment from his message. Jesus showed where the judgment was lying. That judgment was poured out on him instead of us. He didn't deserve it, but it was poured out on him. So Jesus tells us to abide in him because judgment is escaped. There's going to be There's going to be on Judgment Day, people are going to come with bushels full. Basket after basket, truckloads of what they think is fruit. Good deeds, church attendance, saying the right kinds of things. And they're going to think it's fruit. They're going to come and think, look, I'm a branch. I'm a branch and this is the fruit that I produced. And the only question, the only thing that will matter about us in that time is, did we abide in Jesus Christ? Our biggest danger is not that we do nothing, but that we think we do something and don't realize that it's nothing. All of this, all of this bushel after bushel, basket after basket of what we think is fruit won't be fruit because apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing And if you're here today, and this is all news to you, all of that can change today. You can make that decision to abide in Jesus Christ by admitting that you are a sinner and by believing that Jesus suffered and died for you and asking him, asking him to come and abide in you so that you can abide in him and you will escape that judgment that is looming over the head over over every single human being. And you have that opportunity to do that today. I'd love to talk to you more about that after the service, if that's the case. So when we abide in Jesus, fruit is, is produced. A judgment is escaped. And then prayer is answered. I'll write down, prayer is answered. In verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish. Is that some sort of blank check? Uh, Jesus, I'm, uh, I'm abiding, and so um, uh, I'll have a Muskoka cottage, and at least win the Stanley Cup for the next decade. Is, is, that's not what it's saying. It's, it's saying, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. It's not just us abiding in our own wants and our own desires. No, it's us abiding in Jesus Christ. And listen, when you abide in Jesus, when you're connected to Jesus and his life and spirit is flowing into you, that's gonna change the things that you want. It's gonna change the things that you pray and ask for. You see, the word of God, Jesus says, if you abide, if, you, if my words abide in you, in verse seven, That's when prayers get answered because it's the word of God that motivates us to pray. Jesus taught us how to pray. He taught us about his father. He said, I mean, fathers in the world today, 
Even though they're not perfect, they don't give stone when their kids ask for bread. They know how to give good gifts to their children. And Jesus said, how much more then does your heavenly father know what you need even before you ask it? So the word of God, the words of Jesus motivate us to pray because it reveals the generous character of God. It shows us the immense power of God. So it motivates us to pray. It also teaches us specifically how to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, your kingdom come and your will be done. Ask whatever you wish. Well, listen, whatever you wish, if, you, if you're connected to Jesus for long enough, what you're going to wish for is that God's kingdom would come and that you've seen enough of your will and how that goes. It doesn't end well. And so rather than wanting your will, you decide, I actually want God's will now. And as the word of God abides in you, it changes the way that you pray. It, first of all, motivates you to do it in the first place. And then even changes the types of things that we would normally ask for. And I love the, the, the almost, almost seamless connection between the words dwelling in us and asking God. Too often, my own personal devotions look like me sitting there with my Bible, praying before I open it that God would teach me, and then opening it up and reading it, and then closing the Bible, and then praying for my family, my friends, and many of you, and all of that sort of thing. And what I'm learning to do, and I still find difficult, but I, but I think is so powerful when it happens, is to pray with my Bible open. And as I'm reading, to be praying and talking to God as he's talking to me, the Bible is God talking to us through his spirit. Prayer is us talking to God. And having that two-way communication going is so powerful. So answered prayer then is conditioned upon us abiding in Jesus and abiding in his word. Then he says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So when we abide in Jesus, fruit is produced and judgment is escaped and prayer is answered. And here's the fourth thing, that the Father is glorified. The Father is glorified. Remember, the very basic definition of fruit is doing what you were supposed to do. What are we supposed to do as humans? We were created, Isaiah 43, 7 says, we were created for God's glory. And so when we produce fruit, the Father is glorified. We start to live our lives the way that we were supposed to. Lives in the word, lives of prayer. Lives of abiding in, depending on Jesus. The, the Father is glorified. If we abide in Jesus, we fulfill the purpose for which we were created. And God gets the glory. And we know and learn that we're just a branch. The branch can't take credit for the fruit that's hanging off of it. The branch has no power to produce nutrients, to produce life in and of itself. The, there's no glory goes to the branch. The glory goes to the vine and to the vine dresser because that's where the power is. That's where the source of life is coming from. That's why the Father is glorified. And then the, the rest of the verse says, and so prove to be my disciples. So our Father is glorified. And number five, our discipleship is proven. Our discipleship is proven. It's, it's this verse, John 15 verse 8. This is why this passage made it into this series. Because as we've been going through this series, we haven't just been 
picking, you know, all Ted's favorite verses that Jesus says. No, we've been going through and following this theme. What are, the, what are the times where Jesus lays it on a line and says, this is how you know if you're a disciple or not. This is what it means to follow me. And Jesus said that abiding in him and bearing fruit, that's what proves to be a disciple. Now I want you to think, those of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, who have made the decision to follow him, how did you get connected to him? What was going through your mind when you established that connection? When his life began to flow in you? Because it's the way that we get connected to Christ. That is the same way where we continue to abide in him. Someone shared with me between the services, Colossians 2 verse 6, that as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As the branch became connected to the vine, so abide in the vine. We heard 20 baptisms a couple of weeks ago, and it's amazing to hear how God calls different people in different circumstances to follow him. And even though there's so much difference in people's age and people's background and the different people who get, get, have been baptized in our church, there's one sort of common theme that runs throughout every baptism testimony, that runs through all of our testimonies of how we became connected to Jesus. It's I learned I couldn't do it on my own. I was desperate. I was falling apart. I knew that I didn't have the power. I didn't have the strength and so I completely surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Every single, every single testimony goes like that. Because that's how you get connected. And guys, the way to abide, the way to remain connected, is to stay that way. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. When you received him, you were humbled by the reality of your sin. You were desperate to see a change and a difference in your life. And so by faith, by faith, even though you didn't have all of the answers, by faith you chose to connect to Jesus Christ. And he has promised to abide in you. And it's faith in him that allows us to continue to stay connected to him, to abide in him. And that's, how, that's what proves that we are disciples in bearing that fruit, living that life of desperate dependence on him. And it's when we do that, look at verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That as we are his disciples who are abiding in him, love is experienced on a whole new level. And that love that we felt when you first became a follower in Jesus Christ and the tears are running down your cheek and you can't believe that he would love you, a sinner who's rebelled against him, that love, that you, that's not just a one-time thing that we're supposed to experience, but in abiding in him daily, recognizing I can't do it, I need you, Lord, that we experience how much he loves us. And so the sixth thing that he tells us is that love is experienced. And it's an incredible love. In verse 9 he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That overflowing, abundant love within the Trinity. 
flowing between Father and Son and Holy Spirit, that incredible love is now flowing to us as branches from the vine. That's what Jesus has told us, that we would experience his love. He wants us to know that he, he wants us to know that he loves us. He wants us to stay connected, to remain, to abide in his love. And then from that love, in verse 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Not only is love experienced, but number seven, that commands are obeyed. That commands are obeyed. There's often times of a false dichotomy that's set up in Christian Bible teaching, and it begins with a question like this, is, is Christianity about rules, or is Christianity about relationship? And then the emphatic answer is given, it's about relationship, it's not about rules. And that's a false dichotomy, that's a distinction, that's a breakdown, that's an either-or question that really needs to be phrased in a both-and it's not, whether we, it's not whether if we emphasize relationship, that doesn't mean that we forget about rules or that if we talk about rules that all of a sudden we're undermining the importance of relationship. No. It is love that we're told that motivates us and gives us the power to obey the commands that we're given. And the commands help us to abide in that Love, And so it's not that we're down on rules and promote relationship or down on relationship or thinking that the relationship can only happen if you follow the rules. Relationship is primary. Love is primary. But it is the rules that foster and develop and protect and provide for the relationship. It all flows from love. It's love that leads us to follow the law and it's following the law that causes us to love God more. It all starts and finishes with love. Love is foremost. Our mission statement, which is here on our banners, begins with fulfilling the, fulfilling the great commission, which is to go into all nations and make disciples. But there's a manner in which we are fulfilling our mission. Not just going to make disciples, but we're doing it in the spirit of the great commandment, which is to love. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says, if you love God, and if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the law. And so the law comes from love. And the law results in more love. That's why Jesus says, abide in my love and obey my commands. And then Jesus even gives his own example. In the middle of verse 10, he says, I kept my father's commands and abide in his love. Listen, Jesus following God's law in perfect obedience didn't have any impact or distortion or corruption of his relationship with his father. Jesus did not have a legalistic, works-based approach to his father, but Jesus loved the law and he followed the rules. And the rules had no impact, no distortion of his relationship with the Father. In the same way that we can come to Christ's law, the law of love, and it will in fact help us to love the Father more. But only as we abide in him, having faith that he can do it in us, that he can work in us, not us separate from the vine as a branch trying to produce this fruit of obedience to the law. That's hopeless. 
but in love, recognizing I can't do it. I must be connected to the vine. Then love produces obedience to the law. Any failure to obey stems from a failure to love. Not loving others, not loving God. And anytime we fail to love is because we fail to understand that God loves us. We fail to live like that branch that has life-giving power flowing in us that produces the fruit of love. So much confusion in the Christian life just comes from a distorted understanding of how rules relate to relationship and how law relates to love. If you get those things, don't throw one out and focus on the other. If you get those things in the right order, that's when abiding begins. That's when fruit bearing really starts to take place. Then in summing up, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you. What things is he, is he referring to? Things like abide in me. Things like abide in my love. Things like abide in my word and ask whatever you wish. Things like follow my commands. He says, all of these things, I've told you them for a reason, and now he gives the reason. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And again, we are the branch, Jesus is the vine, and one of the things he's flowing into us is his joy. And maybe you're here today and there isn't joy in your life. And maybe you need to follow this. It's funny, Jesus uses a metaphor of a vine and then the passage is laid out like a vine. It's just sort of connected. It just sort of continues to flow along. Love and commandments and prayer and the word and abiding. And maybe you need to follow yourself. Maybe I am reading the word, but I'm not committed to obeying it. I know there's some things that I need to do to show my love for God and to trust in him. Even though it's hard, I'm going to follow through and obey in this way. Maybe I'm not praying. Maybe, maybe I'm not in God's word. Maybe I'm cutting off myself from the vine. I'm trying to live the Christian life on my own. You may be here today lacking in joy. Jesus says, I want your joy to be full. And that's the, that's the last thing that Jesus tells us about abiding in him is that joy is fulfilled. Listen, joy is not happiness. Joy is not what depends on Joy, sorry, uh, happiness it depends on what happens, but joy carries us through all circumstances. And when we abide in him, his joy flows in us. And I just want to share with you briefly just about what God's doing even in my own heart, even today. After the a second service, or sorry, after the first service, uh, Jameson came up and um, started to lead the song. And Jameson, the team, you guys can make your way to the platform uh, now, just as I close with this. Uh, they came up and started to lead the song, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. And I, I kind of came down these steps, and my shoulders were kind of shrugged down. And um, these, these thoughts just started flowing into my mind, you know, like, like really, Ted, eight points? 
Like, is anyone really ever going to learn anything from an eight-point message? You're not going to remember any of this. And you've, you've totally messed this up. And, and how, can, how can you think, what were you doing going to Ottawa, driving all the way to teach 30 people? You can't even teach people in your own church. And all of this discouragement and then thinking, okay, well, maybe if I just take the 30 minutes between the services, maybe I can really make some changes. And, and maybe I can. And, and then as the song's being sung, it's as though God's just saying, Ted, abide in me. Abide in my word. You preach the word, and your ability to outline a passage doesn't affect whether or not God's word is going to have power in a person's life. He says, that's my responsibility. And as the song went on, and as the shoulders that were shrugged over, as I began to even live out the very thing that I was preaching... Because I, and the reason why I want to share that is because it's so, it's so easy to become disconnected. It's so easy to allow ourselves to become discouraged or defeated or joyless in the Christian life. And where the defeat happens is when we think it's up to us. And it's not up to us. We abide in him, but he has promised to abide in us. And he has promised that we will bear fruit even if we don't see it, even if we don't feel it. And so I needed to, in in the first service, I needed to do what I hope all of us are going to do in this second service, is I needed to just come and restate God. I, I confess that I have nothing to bring to the table. And if anything is going to be done, if any eternal significance, if any lives are going to be changed, If any fruit is going to happen, it's going to come from you flowing through me. And we all need to be reminded of that. Because when we're fruitful, Jesus says, we're joyful. When we know that we're just a branch. And any fruit that's being produced, we just marvel at. And we're not looking to ourselves. We're looking to the vine, the power, the life, the meaning, the purpose that is flowing through us. So I want to invite us. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this song. Lord, I need you. I come and I confess. I I find my rest here in you. I fall apart without you. Let's sing these truths. Let's make this song our prayer. Let's, Let's reaffirm our need to be connected to the vine. So let's sing this out together in faith, believing that God's word. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.